Greetings, this is podcast number 97 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we'll follow up on an earlier podcast about how the Bush administration is putting you at risk on the roads. The listener comments we'll go over will provide yet more evidence that profit before the public good is the right-wing way. We'll also close the podcast with a new tune. Let's get right into it. My sources are the website of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, the New York Times, and democracynow.org. The Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's primary mission is to, quote, reduce crashes, injuries, and fatalities involving large trucks and buses, close quote. Fair enough. Safety advocacy groups, along with the insurance industry, presented studies showing that tired truck drivers caused a high percentage of accidents. But the trucking company associations counted with their own statistics that supposedly proved it was passenger cars that caused more than 80% of the accidents. Fatigued truckers were supposedly responsible for only 2%. First of all, if fatigued truckers are causing 2% of accidents, don't we want to prevent those? Second, who are you going to believe, the trucking companies or the safety groups? More on that later. The agency, filled with Bush appointees from the trucking industry, not surprisingly, adopted the trucking industry position. The areas of contention are what are called hour and service rules, time logs, and training. Hour and service rules. These specify how many continuous hours and hours over a period of time a trucker can drive. Safety group and insurance industry research showed that, quote, after eight hours of consecutive driving, crashes increased dramatically and even more steeply in the 10th and 11th hours of consecutive driving, close quote. Since 1937, yes, it hadn't been changed since then, Maximum continuous driving time had been 10 hours. So the safety groups and insurance industry wanted it reduced. But the right-wingers at the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration went in the opposite direction. That agency increased the maximum continuous driving time from 10 to 11 hours. Perhaps even worse. I don't know, it's often hard to tell which of their deeds is worse when dealing with right-wing disregard for the public safety, the maximum driving hours over seven days were also increased to 77 hours from 60, and over eight days from 70 to 88 hours. Are they crazy? Just think of that. What kind of safety rules haven't been toughened since 1937? But the Bush administration not only doesn't toughen them, it loosens them. Time logs. Drivers are supposed to keep handwritten logs documenting the time they spend behind the wheel to make sure they're obeying safety rules. Rampant falsification of these handwritten logs is an open secret. So a push was made for electronic records that can't be altered. No dice. The federal agency said no. Let the cheating go on. No rule of law here if it gets in the way of increased industry profits. 
Finally, training. How do you feel when you hear the Bush Agency's new training standards? Ten hours of training, none of it on the road. None of it on the road. For someone piloting a 40-ton, 80,000-pound piece of machinery right next to you on the highway. If you think the Bush Agency's actions are outrageous, you're in line with what the courts felt. As summarized in the New York Times, the agency's actions, quote, have been subject to withering criticism by federal appeals court panels in Washington who say they ignore government safety studies and put the industry's economic interests ahead of public safety, close quote. Regarding the hour and service rules, one court opinion condemned the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration for, quote, ignoring its own evidence that fatigue causes many truck accidents. The agency admits that studies show that crash risk increases, in the agency's words, geometrically after the eighth hour on duty, close quote. Ignoring its own evidence. So the court threw out the agency's hour and service rules. But the shameless right-wingers in the agency just went ahead and reissued virtually the same rules which were again challenged in court by the safety groups and the Teamsters Union, which represents drivers. Regarding electronic logs, the justices said they didn't understand why the agency didn't even estimate the benefits of electronic monitoring. The Bushians just ignored the issue. And on training, an appeals court noted that the agency again ignored its very own studies, which called for more comprehensive training. The court called the agency's sparse training regulations baffling. Not baffling if you understand the right wing like we do. Just so you can see that the standard right wing modus operandi is present here, let me confirm that the trucking industry is a major contributor to the GOP. $14 million from 2000 to 2006. In 2000 alone, Four times as much money went to the GOP as to Democrats. And the Bush administration appointed trucking industry officials to key positions in the regulatory agency. Letting industry regulate itself is a key right-wing tactic to destroy the regulatory function of government. For example, Michael P. Jackson, a leading trucking association official, became the number two guy at the Department of Transportation. As head of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration itself, Bush appointed a fine gentleman named Joseph M. Clapp. Clapp used to run Roadway, a trucking company, and was, quote, the leader of an industry foundation that sponsored research, claiming fatigue was not a factor in truck accidents, a conclusion at odds with government and academic studies, close quote. The perfect right-winger putting profit and ideology over science and human life. I want to stress here, like I did last time, that nothing I'm saying is meant to denigrate truck drivers. I know many truckers listen to this podcast. They're among the hardest working Americans and often for not that great an economic return. The trucking companies are always trying to shortchange and overwork them. It's the companies and the right-wingers in Congress and the agency who I blame for this situation. Indeed, as I mentioned, the Truck Drivers Union opposes the agency's decisions. On that note, let's get into the listener comments. 
I received many comments on this issue, both pro and con my position. Expanding on my don't blame the truckers theme, Kathy from North Fort Myers, Florida wrote, and I've changed the order of some paragraphs here and elsewhere to group them subject-wise. Quote, Thanks for your podcast regarding big rigs and driving time. I just hope you emphasize that most truckers are really good, conscientious drivers. I witnessed an accident a few years ago where the car was at fault. The car cut the truck off trying to get off at an exit. To avoid hitting the car, the trucker drove his rig up under an underpass where the cab was pinned between the upper roadbed and the concrete slope on the lower side. It took more than seven hours to get the trucker out of the cab of his rig and only after amputating both his legs and one arm. He later died of his injuries leaving a wife and three children. He was asked why he didn't just hit the car. His reply, there were two little kids in car seats in the back and I just couldn't because I knew they would all die. The people in the car weren't hurt and probably heard the story later on the news and thought, just one more reckless, stupid, tired, whacked out truck driver. Close quote. Undoubtedly, as you no doubt experience quite often on your own driving excursions, there are an awful lot of stupid automobile drivers out there. When an accident is their fault, they should bear the blame. And the vast, vast majority of truckers are among the safest drivers there are. As Kathy related about her own family, quote, My late husband and my deceased father were both long-haul truck drivers for most of their lives. Both of them worked long hours in all kinds of weather conditions in the Pacific Northwest, and both of them had unblemished driving records. My husband posted 2.5 million accident-free miles before he retired. Close quote. Now Rob, posting a comment on the podcast blog, confirmed the exhaustion angle. Quote, Luckily, I was able to get out of the biz a few years back. Today, the only way a driver can make a decent living is when the wheels are turning. You also have people running a trucking company that will push the drivers to exhaustion. Don't get me wrong, drivers enjoy driving the trucks, but do not stay planted in that seat from sheer enjoyment. They have to be there to make a paycheck. Close quote. Kathy also had a lot to say about trucking company abuses. Quote, you're more than correct that the industry is as responsible for truckers being tired and impaired as the individual drivers. Pay for many drivers is by the mile, so even when they should be sleeping, their income rests on how far they can get. Many are impaired by taking meth and speed to stay awake, and as you mentioned, logbook falsification is also rampant for these reasons. Another part of the equation is the fact that non-driving hours are not necessarily for rest. Many truck drivers are required to spend up to two hours before and two hours after their long driving day loading or unloading their trucks, working on the trucks, or performing other tasks. When my husband retired, he was making the equivalent of $13 per hour and putting in 12 to 15 hours per day, six days per week. Phew! I couldn't do that. Close quote. Working 72 to 90 hours a week. Now it really gets interesting because we can contrast all that with some input from Europeans. Their rules are, shall we say, a bit different. Here's Pete from the UK, who addresses the training, time log, and hours allowed to drive issues. Pete transports people, not freight, but given the presence of people in other vehicles on the road, 
he and the freight drivers equally need to avoid accidents. Says Pete, quote, Wow, those driving regulations you have in the States are outrageous. I drive a coach in the UK for a big corporate transport company. Before we can get a license to learn to drive a large vehicle, we have to pass a medical and then a test of our hazard awareness. We then have to be trained by a qualified instructor on the road before taking a driving test which must be passed before the driver can take a large vehicle out on the road unsupervised. Close quote. Makes sense, don't you think, that training for driving on the road should include driving on the road, but not apparently to the Bushians. Back to Pete, quote, driving hours and vehicle speeds are recorded by a device fitted to the vehicle, close quote. Those Europeans always trying to one-up us with those newfangled electronic gizmos. Why can't they stick to pencil and paper like good Americans should? Or so the right would apparently argue. And get this on hours in service, you won't believe it. Quote, the most I can drive under European rules without a break is 4 hours 30 minutes. I must then have a 45 minute break. Close quote. The Bushians just increased driving time in the U.S. without a break to 11 hours. If you've been the driver on a long trip, you know the difference between 4.5 hours at a stretch and 11. That 45-minute break makes all the difference in the world. Europe, four and a half hours at a stretch. U.S., 11 hours. Here's something probably even worse. Quote, the most driving I can do in one week is 50 hours. Close quote. Our caring for us, no doubt, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration just increased the U.S. weekly limit, which was bad enough at 60, to 77 hours, over one and one-half times the European limit, 77 hours a week of driving versus 50. Here's what I think is the worst of all, quote, the most I can do in two weeks is 90, close quote. The right-wingers in control of the federal agency up the U.S. limit to 88 hours, less than the Europeans? Not on your life. That's 88 hours in 8 days. What European drivers must take 2 weeks, 14 days to drive, American drivers can marathon drive in 8 days. 8 days versus 14 days. Are European drivers weaklings or US drivers supermen and superwomen? As Pete summed it up, quote, the social democracy that is Europe Recognize the link between time at the wheel and tiredness. We all want the person at the controls of 40-ton potentially deadly weapons to be fully alert. Mechanically recorded driving hours gives me a shield I can hide behind when those corporate slave drivers start cracking the whip. Close quote. Another European driver posted a comment confirming what Pete told us. Quote, here in Europe, we've had electronic recording devices for driver's hours for 20-plus years, almost as long as I've been driving. I'll tell you, the only people over this side of the pond who don't like them are the bosses and those who are a danger to others and themselves, the rule breakers. If you're driving for 10 hours or more without a break, then you want locking up. Would you allow a rabid dog to run loose? We're only allowed to drive for four and a half hours, then we must have a 45-minute break. Four and a half hours without a break is just about right. 
10 hours is suicide, close quote. The Bushian 11 hours is even beyond suicide, as the safety group and insurance industry stats indicate. It's homicide. Just as you wonder when they oppose environmental regulations, don't right-wingers breathe the same air I do? You have to wonder here, don't they drive on the same roads as the rest of us? After the break, you'll hear from a listener who didn't like my progressive position on truck safety rules. Left, the right, the right. Left, left the right, the right. Your one-minute voting rapport. We're beginning the month around number 7 on the Podcast Alley Top 10. The competition's real stiff this month. Remember, being on the Top 10 and the higher up we are, the more new listeners, the more the progressive word is spread. Thanks to everyone who's voted so far, and if you haven't voted yet, here back once again is my offer you can't refuse, or so I hope. You get two hours a month of a podcast you like to listen to, and all I ask in return is 10 seconds of your time once a month to vote. You could even go vote right now if you want to. Thanks. The Negative Comments A listener posting under the name Team Via who I'll just refer to as Team, told me, quote, Consider your sources. The safety advocacy groups you refer to are probably the safety Nazis that would have everyone not only drive 45 on the interstate, but would also try to pass laws dictating when and where we could drive in the name of safety. And as far as the insurance industry goes, can anyone name a greedier or more dollar-bent ear than that? Close quote. First of all, notice the term safety Nazis. You want to protect the public from being crushed by 80,000 pound trucks and you're a Nazi. Rush Limbaugh famously calls feminists feminazis. In both cases, I think the use of the word Nazis says a lot more about the speaker than the object of his derision. Team also said safety advocacy groups would have everyone drive 45 on the interstate and dictate where and when we could drive. What's he talking about? Team, if you're going to try to set up straw men, a favorite right-wing tactic, at least set up some plausible ones. Team then says the insurance industry stats are bogus because they're greedy. He and I certainly agree that they're greedy, but you have to go beyond a knee-jerk reaction. Yes, they're greedy, and to make more money, the insurance industry wants to pay as few claims as possible. So the fewer the claims, the better for them. The insurance industry has absolutely no motive to lobby for useless safety standards, only ones that will reduce the amount of claims. It has a vested interest, a major financial stake, in reducing the number of accidents and thus the number of claims it must pay out. So to me, the insurance industry stats that call for more stringent driving hour limits bear a lot of weight. Team then gives me a link, he says, as to a study that was conducted by an independent federal agency, the National Transportation Safety Board. Quote, You're citing evidence provided by the safety Nazis. 
In reality, a study was done by the NTSB, an independent federal agency, on the effects of tired driving and the results were the modifications. The entire study can be found at HTTP, etc., etc., it's a long link. Pay close attention to Section F, close quote. So I went and looked. But Team's link is just to a document published by the Bush-appointee-dominated Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. They do cite in Section F an NTSB study, but not on any of the issues I discuss here, only on the split sleep issue. In other words, is sleeping four hours now than four hours later as good as sleeping eight hours continuously. What team essentially referred me to here is merely the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration through the industry officials running the agency parroting the industry line. So remember, whenever you're cited a source by a right-winger, check it out. It often won't say what the right-winger says it does. Another critical email was posted by Anonymous One. He's not a right-winger, but perhaps a progressive dissenting on this issue. Quote, Jack, I love the podcast. However, I have to dispute the decision to attack the agency for not passing more regulations. Yes, hand logs can be forged, and electronic records could be easier to keep good records. But not all trucking companies can afford to implement such a system. Personally, I work about four to five weeks a year with a seasonal trucking company. We use leased trucks. To implement an electronic system would seriously curtail the ability to operate, as profit is already minimal at best. Close quote. The dollar cost of implementing rules protecting the public is often invoked by the right. My reply would be twofold. If everyone has to install the electronic systems, then no one would be put at a competitive disadvantage. And, if the cost is just too high to even initially bear for such a crucial piece of safety equipment, then unless an equally effective method that's more affordable to Anonymous One is available, perhaps getting into a different line of business is called for. Harsh, but a fact of life, or more accurately, of saving lives. Actually, Anonymous One did have a suggestion for an alternative route, quote, I think a better way to do this would be more way stations, not necessarily to weigh people in, but to record what trucks were where. By creating a nationwide tracking of trucks, they could pull them off the road when they could not have driven a certain distance without going over hours or speeding excessively. Close quote. Not a bad idea in my non-professional trucker's eyes, but I have no idea whether it's practical or not. And keeping so many weigh-in check-in stations up and running could well cost more than the one-time installation of electronic log devices. Okay, let's expand the frame a bit. Beyond the details of the trucking industry is the overall philosophical debate about the purpose of government. Here's Team again, giving a classic right-wing take. Quote, I'm a truck driver by trade, and I've always followed the rules. My stand is this. I know when I'm too tired to drive and I stop. The irresponsibility of the few need not facilitate the degradation of the many of us truck drivers who follow the rules, know when to stop, and above all maintain a safety-first attitude because that's the only thing that keeps us in a job. Having the government make the decision for me is not only ludicrous, it is by definition 
on American. Freedom must be handled with responsibility and respect, or else the government will see fit to systematically take it from us, as has happened not only more frequently in recent years, but also more unabashedly. Close quote. Team is really making three classic right-wing points here. First, he knows what's best for himself, not the government. I know when I'm too tired to drive and I stop. Sort of a variation on, it's my money and I know best how to spend it. The selfish right-wing focus on me, 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 I can do what I want, can become dangerous here. Team may himself be as hardy as an oak, able to easily get by on four hours of sleep a night, and maybe he is safely able to drive 15 or even 20 hours a day. Just like some exceptional people can drive their personal auto safely at 100 miles per hour. Or some drivers have such keen eyesight and reflexes that they don't really need to come to a full stop at stop signs. But we don't legislate public safety laws and regulations for the exceptionally gifted. Public safety laws and regulations are based on what average people are capable of. Laws and regulations can't be tailored to each individual. If an individual can perform at a higher level than the law allows, they'll just have to abide by the law for the greater public good. Unless we can figure out how to certify people as able to violate this law and that. The vast majority in any profession, job, industry are honest and would never willingly hurt anyone. It's the incompetents who don't know their own limits and would negligently harm others that we must protect against as well as against the bad apples, who do exist. Bad apples in another realm, like these Enron guys. So, so the rumor's true? They're f taking all the money back from you guys? All the money you guys stole from those poor grandmothers of California? <laughs> yeah, Grandma Millie, man. But she's the one who couldn't figure out how to f vote on the butterfly ballot. But yeah, now she wants her f money back for all the power you've charged right up, jammed right up her f for f $250 a megawatt hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know Grandma Millie, she's the one that I'm fighting for. Why don't we abolish the SEC like right-wingers would love to do? Team also argues that having the government make the decision for me is not only ludicrous, it is by definition un-American. Always bringing up that old patriotism thing. You're un-American if you want to do that. It's a strange reading of American history that would find antipathy to public safety laws a cornerstone of what it means to be an American. Our Declaration of Independence says that governments are instituted among men to secure the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life! Saving lives! What could be more basic to the function of government? This doesn't just mean the police protecting you against a mugger with a gun. It also means the federal agency charged with highway safety protecting you against an overworked, fatigued driver piloting a 40-ton hunk of metal towards you. Our Constitution states that one of the purposes of government is to promote the general welfare. Again, avoiding highway carnage would seem to fall into that bailiwick. Team's third point is that, quote, freedom must be handled with responsibility and respect, 
or else the government will see fit to systematically take it from us, as has happened not only more frequently in recent years, but also more unabashedly. Close quote. Freedom? Team equates freedom with not being obligated to obey any public safety rules. When Team says our freedoms have been systematically taken from us more frequently in recent years, I would agree. Although he's probably talking about no smoking laws and the like, and I'd be thinking of warrantless wiretapping, erosion of habeas corpus, and the like. Abuse of the word freedom and its cousin liberty is a cardinal right-wing sin. Right-wingers probably resented the sandbox rules in kindergarten as well. They needed their freedom there, their liberty to do as they wanted. New York Times columnist Paul Krugman recently noted that, quote, Books like The Death of Common Sense, a 1990s bestseller, have twisted the facts to argue that laws like a New York ordinance requiring restaurants to clean dishes in a way that kills salmonella are somehow an infringement on liberty. Close quote. Do you know what an E. coli conservative is? Krugman again, quote, The economic case for having the government enforce rules on food safety seems overwhelming. Consumers have no way of knowing whether the food they eat is contaminated, and in this case what you don't know can hurt or even kill you. But there are some people who refuse to accept that case because it's ideologically inconvenient. Ideologues who won't accept even the most compelling case for government regulation, the historian Rick Perlstein calls E. coli conservatives. Close quote. Right-wingers don't want any government regulatory oversight in the public safety realm. Right-wing icon Milton Friedman called for abolition of the entire FDA. I wouldn't be surprised if Team and other right-wingers would like to abolish the entire Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Team and those who think like him in the trucking industry are indeed coli conservatives. We can call them crushed car conservatives. I'll close by playing two delightful clips that give you this right-wing philosophy in a nutshell. You know one of them's Rush. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. Yup, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is part of Roosevelt's regulatory progeny. Let's do something about that as well. Get rid of it. Kill it. Who needs any stinking safety rules about trucks? And here's good old Ron. I've always felt the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Of course those nine words were scary to Reagan, since he was nothing but a mouthpiece. A very skilled one, the great communicator they called him. Isn't that an Orwellian appellation, if you ever heard one? Reagan was nothing but a mouthpiece for those who would ride roughshod over public health and safety solely in pursuit of a bit more profit, even though they already possess riches beyond imagination. Hearing that the government's here to help isn't scary to the average citizen. The average citizen, if he or she has a lick of common sense and awareness of history, knows that the only thing that stands between them and a Dickensian future is the collective power of the citizenry. That power is expressed through small-d, democratically mandated government action. 
government action to counter the otherwise overwhelming influence of those with money and power. Government action that's anathema to the right wing, but the lifeblood of progressives like you and me. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. Tell many friends about Blast the Right, and everyone go vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do that on my podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. Special shout-out to all you Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. Great to have you on board. Why don't you go over to the podcast homepage and subscribe for free, and then you can download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. Thanks to Kit from Rocky Mount, North Carolina for help with the podcast. If anyone out there is good at video editing and has a little bit of time they could spend on some Blast the Right video, please let me know. And if you're a progressive podcaster and I haven't yet played your promo, Please write to me, tell me, and provide me a link to download your promo. Music credits. The break music was The Schnee Speaks by KG House, combined with the alternate Blast the Right theme by Nye's Music, and Not the One Blues by Burnsheath Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of a new tune, Impeach Cheney First by Bill Oliver and the Cheney Gang. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use on Blast the Right can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Thanks as always to Tom Hartman for the Rush Limbaugh audio clip. I love getting all your comments, so keep them coming in. Rational at Roadrunner.com You can also call and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also leave a message for me by using Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Impeach Cheney first. It can still get worse. After bushes and cups, it's liable to get rough. Impeach Cheney first. Impeach Cheney first Knock him off his perch He's the orchestrator The real Darth Vader He's the one with a purse Get the wizard Behind the curtain Variety shotgun For Halliburton Bust the bushes But impeach Cheney first Cheney first Give him what he deserves It'll be more fun If Bush sees it coming No pardon, sir Impeach Cheney fast